Well, um, I suppose everybody here has, who knows Jesus has a different story to how he brought them and saved them. And uh, I'm here tonight to tell you about what he's done for me. I'll start start with this verse in the Bible because as years went on, it became very real to me. And it's in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1, and it says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And for me, that was, I was not looking for Jesus. I didn't ask for him. He came looking for me. So it's all about what he has done. Um, well, my name is Scepter, or Concepto O'Donnell, and uh, I was born up in the country in a wee place called Newton Stewart. They're a family of 14, 10 girls, four boys, and I was in the middle somewhere. And um, I brought up with good parents, you know, it was taught a religion, obviously, from a Catholic background. And um, my mother and father loved God in the only way that they knew, or they'd been taught from generation to generation, and... Um, I loved the religion it was in. It would be a lie to tell you. I, I see it was all wrong. But at that time, I loved all the, the palaver that came with it. I, um, I enjoyed the, the nine Fridays, which guaranteed me I would uh, have a priest before I would die and that I would get into heaven. I enjoyed the October devotions, walking out a mile in, a mile, mile out, you know, to this thing called the Stations of the Cross. I, I did all the sacraments and, and believed it was okay. I wasn't good enough for heaven, but I thought I'm definitely not bad enough for hell. <laughs> I mean, I didn't murder anybody or do anything like that. But that is exactly where, um, I, so I thought there was a place called Purgatory. Um, that where, you know, the living people prayed for those that are dead, and some stage you get out of that. So I didn't think anywhere beyond that. I, I thought, i just done my religion, did the duties. Loved this religious thing. Got married at 20 years of age to a wonderful man who's not here tonight. He said, I have enough support for all my friends. And uh, uh, we have three children, but um, and we were happy enough, you know. Loved in Pennyburn, which I, where I still do. And one day, out of the blue, um, a neighbour of mine asked me a question. She said to me, do you know anything about the book of Revelations? Now, I had never read the Bible, but I like to read a book. And I said, you know, I, I, I know, but um, I, if I can find a Bible in the house, I will look at it and I'll get back to you on it. So this is just another neighbour. And... Um, so I found a little good news one in the midst of everything, and I took it out and I started to read it. No, I, I, as I say, I didn't realise then that this was no ordinary book. I just thought it was a book. And by the time I finished reading the book of Revelations, I was scared because I knew that I knew that there was something or somebody knew more about me, and it made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, a few of the verses that really spoke to me was. Uh, it starts with Revelations 1, chapter 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I'm just going to go through verses that were really stuck in my mind, you know. 
I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Then in chapter 2, it says, I know your deeds. Chapter 2, chapter 13 says, I know where you live. Now, that might not stir you, but this, I, I started, these verses were coming alive to me. This was something or somebody was speaking to me and said, they know what I'm at. They know all my deeds. And it says, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen and remain what is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in my sight, in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and hear, and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. These were scary, you know. And then in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 15 to 20, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and be with him. And the last thing that caught my mind at that time, or my heart was, Revelation 22, verse 18 to 20, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming soon. Now, you may have been familiar with all these things, but I had never read this in my life. And uh, I was was scared. I I didn't know where to go or... And I was totally puzzled because where was this? So um, I also didn't know that uh, in James, you know, chapter 1, 22, 24, it talks about for someone who reads it like a mirror. And I, I, I know looking back that this was a mirror that God was showing me in my life, but I didn't know what it was at the time. So that started a journey for me. I started reading the Bible. I started reading about Exodus. And at this time, I could have had a, religious shop. I had statues and pictures and novenas and you name it, all in the house because I was devoutly religious. And um, I read the Bible because the Catholic Bible or the, where we would have learned is slightly different from what I read in the Bible. And when I read in the Bible about bowing down to statues and things made of wood and all, I was looking around me and thinking, where I didn't know, I didn't know where it, where it was leading me to. So I had heard about a cousin of mine who had become a Christian as such, and that she had, they would take all her money and all, and she was in this cult and all. And I used to think, oh, she's has some fool that girl, but I had no contact with her. And I was working in Welbush at the time, and 
she came into the shop. And so I was reading this and I had no one to talk to about it. And I called over and I said, could you, could you answer a few questions with, to me? I am reading this book, the Bible. And she said when she came over, she was scared because she knew how pathetically religious I was. And she was getting enough flack in her own house and didn't want any more from me. But uh, she came down and I started questioning her about these things that I was reading. And um, she said, I said, where do you go? How do you know about this? She says, I go down to a man called Jack tonight and his wife Anne and Culmore. And she says, there's a couple called Mike McBride and Jack Tunney and they, you know, have services. And Letter, it's Letter Kenny uh, on a Sunday night and on Tuesday nights in Culmore. So I thought, I'll play it safe. I'll stay in Culmore <laughs> in case I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So I went down and my first impression was they must be all hippies. Because they had long hair and all that 70s. It was all 80s, I don't remember. No, about 80s. But they were playing football. And everybody was having a great time. Beautiful evening. And we went in. And you know, I never ever tasted tray bakes before. I'm quite good at making them now. But I never tasted tray bake. And Anne could make the most fabulous tray bakes. And I liked the, the company. You know, I, I, uh, I liked the, the, the feeling of unity or something was going on there. And I... But then people would be sitting beside and bowing their head and saying, Jesus, and all. And I, used, I was looking around and thinking, what are they? Is somebody going to do something or what's happening here? And then Jack would have brought the word. I loved the songs that they sang. They were all new to me. You know, Jesus, take me as I am. And, uh, and then I would go away and I was reading my Bible. And then we were very friendly with the priests too, so... Um, I had read, which was a shock to me, um, I believed that Jesus was, or Mary was the ever-virgin mother of God, that she never had any other children. So then I read that she had other children. So uh, a friend of ours who was a priest came in one day, seen the Bible and said, oh, are you thinking of changing your religion? Which I thought was a very strange question. And I said, no. So I said to him, could you answer? He says, if you need any questions, ask me. So I said, uh, I have a question. It says in the Bible that Mary had other children. It gives their names. That they did not come together until after the birth of Jesus. And he said, no, 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 that's, that's not right. Um, that's like just a way of speech that have been relatives and all. So I was listening, but I didn't challenge him. But I knew in my heart that it wasn't the truth. So I knew I couldn't ask the priest. <laughs> but uh, I started going anyway every Tuesday night. And how easy it those early days when you can find an excuse not to go. But every time my cousin or husband came, I went. And every time I went, it was like more light was pouring in. So um, I then... Uh, you know, read in Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator between God and man, and that is God and man, and that was Christ Jesus. Well, for me, in my mind, it was like a very, God is very patient, very gracious to me. It was like a slow process because I had all these intermediaries, you know. I had all the saints you could imagine. I had the novenas and I had Mary, who was a big, I, you know, really thought she was just above all, like. So the... This was a very big challenge to me because I had a choice of whether I believe what I read or whether I 
stuck to this religion that I was in. But all every week I was getting, not only was I reading, but I was getting the word of God preached to me that brought light and encouraged me to read on. And um, so anyway, I made the decision. And then, and then came, it was like a slow process. Then it came to the process where it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, just as man is destined to die once and face judgment. So that kind of blew out my, my purgatory because I realized there was no purgatory. I realized it was heaven or hell. And I knew I wasn't good enough for heaven. And I remember going to a wake out the Brandeville with Jack and my cousin's mother-in-law died. And I can honestly say it was like shudders. It was like a shudder just shot in my eyes. And I felt I had God's, I really felt in my heart God say to me, why are they praying? And I knew at that moment it was pointless, pointless to pray for the dead. So um, in, in, this, in this intermediate time, I was still going to Mass, <laughs> because it was like, and then I would say, oh, I can't participate in that, can't participate in that. It was slowly filing down. And then the biggest thing was the communion, because you probably think I was very stupid. Even some of my uh, friends would have thought I was stupid. I was totally convinced that I actually was accepting Jesus. The communion really was the body and blood of Christ. Call it naive, call it stupid, but that's what I was taught. I never questioned it. I was convinced. I used to be fascinated how there was always enough for everybody. And it must have been multiplying or something. God must have, you know, must have been doing it. And suddenly the reality came through the preaching of God's word that this was a remembrance service. It was, no, was not Jesus. And that, for me, was the final crunch. That, to me, was the, the decision time because I knew that everything up to that point had been slowly but surely taken away. And I remember going down. I had a brother and sister down from Oma and their niece Nevin, and we went to Mass because they were there. And I said to my husband at the time, I will never be back here. And I came back in and I said, I went today because you were there, but I no longer believe it. And, uh, you know, um, to make that decision, um, for anyone to follow Jesus, it's not an easy decision. And I was scared because I knew there'd be opposition. I knew for generations, like in this country, we have generations of whatever religious thing, I knew that this would be a standoff point in my family. I knew my mother and father wouldn't understand, or my brothers and sisters wouldn't understand, or my friends, or my neighbours. And um, but at that point, my husband had got saved about six months after me. And uh, our daughter was going to the school in Pennyburn, and it was coming up to first communion, primary three. And we made a decision that she'd have to be taken from the school. So um, as I wasn't working and my husband was, I had to go up and see the nuns. So I went up and I said to them, I'm going to take Ramona from the school. And they said, oh, why, why? And I said, well, I've become a Christian. I no longer believe me to want to make a first communion. You'll have to come back. Uh, we have to, had to get some papers. I can't even remember then. So when I come back, before I got up the next day, the priest was at the door. And he came in. Now, he'd been sent previously and, uh, but this time he just came in and he said to me, you have finally 
done it. The first time he came, uh, my sister had sent him about a year previous, and he says, I see you're going to meetings. I heard you're going to meetings. The family's concerned. You know, next thing you believe in the Catholic Church. I says, well, I'll never believe in the Catholic Church. <laughs> I had no intentions of it until God had his way. So we just said, you finally did it. I told you we did. Why did you do it? And I said, I no longer believe. I said, there is uh, only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus, and I don't need the saints, and I don't need them. And he says, uh, I says, so, uh, he says, but, I says, why, why, are, why are we taught this? Why were we taught this? He says, well, people need them. I says, no, you have told us that we need them, but we don't need them. And I says, I no longer believe that the, that is Jesus. It's just a remembrance service. And he says, I don't, I can't agree with you. And I said, that's it. And he just left the house that day and he said, well, I cannot agree with you, but I cannot deny that you haven't found something. Uh, then we moved the children's schools and that was, a, that was difficult in the neighbourhood. The children got a lot of flack at the time. Uh, left out of things, broke, broken toys in the street different things, but God gave me a promise in the Old Testament. He says, I will let you live at peace among your enemies. Uh, although there were neighbours, they were like enemies at the time, and it's only because of darkness. I, was the, I would have been no different than they were. Because they thought that I had become a Protestant. But you see, in the Bible, there's neither Greek nor Jew. Is there anything? There's no, we are either in Christ or we are not. We're a child of God or we're a child of the devil. There is no religion in Jesus. Man has brought religion and division. So for them, though, they thought I had something. So anyway, told my mother and father that was that was another story. But anyway, we didn't we weren't allowed home for a period of time. And uh, as Mike McBride says once, when when the devil shuts the door, God will always open the window. And uh, we were expecting another baby. Uh, after our third, and I lost the baby. Now, neither of the families knew that I was pregnant. There was no contact with families, but God used that, wasn't it? It's not, God doesn't, you know, we have difficulties now, but God used that to bring a, a, a phone call from my mum, do you know, come home, accepted as a Christian, do you know? And uh, within a year after that, my father passed away with cancer, and within that year, a sister and I led him to Jesus. So God is faithful, you know, so, and we think things are difficult. And, but, you know, I always find that times of persecution, what seems persecution, is times of growth. Sometimes we get it, there's no bother, and we sail along, and we have them, we don't expect. A good dose of persecution will not do any of us any harm. And um, so uh, there was a lot of things that's probably best left unsaid that happened in a family because uh, sometimes I used to give a test me years ago and, I, and then I used to come away and think, and I talked about what people did rather than what you have done. So tonight I want to say that, you know, um, for a season, my husband and I le- left my family, lost our family. Um, my husband's family were very educated uh, and social workers and nurses, whatever God educated. I said at home, looked after the youngsters and loved it. And um, so they had, meet, they had a meeting because they felt that I was an unfit mother and that maybe the children should be taken away. Uh, I had a youngest son that had suffered eczema 
and allergies and he was taken to the hospital and there was a meeting and I was petrified and I said, God, if you are who you say you are, you're going to have to sort this out. I was scared of them. I was scared of everything. Like, I was scared of just the opposition, fear. And, uh, but uh, in Matthew, God spoke to me in Matthew 10, okay, verse 37 and 39. And he said, first of all, he says, if anyone who loves, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me, my sake, will find it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke 12, 4 to 7. It says, I tell you, my friends... Do not be afraid of those who killed the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of heaven. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of heaven, uh, angels of God. And you know, I, when I read them verses, I made the decision it was time to step out. There was a cost to pay. I, I, and what God did, he, I lost family and friends for a season. Because people realise that you really aren't. They see by your life and your testimony that things are different. But I brought me into a great family of great friends and uh, great support. And, and, um, and where I, I knew that I was saved. I didn't know what the word saved meant. You know, if people say, are you saved? I, I'd be thinking, well, what, what are you talking about? Saved from what? Like, and it was just when I knew... And when Jack and Anne and Mike and Jack used, they didn't, I suppose, they would talk about being saved, but they were talking about, do you know who Jesus is? Have you, do you realize that you're a sinner? For me, I remember the night I stood in a kitchen and I said, I thought, you see, I thought I was a Christian. I thought that I was doing the right thing. But I was just a Pharisee, a hypocrite, a religious person who called on God and wanted to come to God my way because it suited me and I could come and go as I pleased. Did it cost to follow Jesus? Yes, it did for a season. Families, friends and neighbours. Was it worth it? Yes, it was. I got new family, new friends and uh, family restored and respect from our neighbours. Has Jesus ever let me down? Never. Have I ever let him down? Yes. Has Jesus kept all his promises? Yes. Have I always kept my promises to him? No. Not all the time. Have I seen answer to my prayers? Yes, I have. Am I still waiting on answers for prayers? Yes, I am. (laughs) But I know he will answer them in his time and his way, you know. I, I can honestly say, that making a decision for Jesus Christ is the most important decision 
I have ever made or will ever make in my entire life. Every other decision I have made or will ever make will always be temporal. It'll only be for this world where I live, what I buy, what I eat, where I'm going to go. But the decision I have made for Jesus is eternity. That I am assured that when I die, I don't have to worry about purgatory. It doesn't say I don't. I will go straight into the presence of God because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That he has taken my sin on the cross. He has paid. I am rotten. I'm here. As Mike used to say this, don't think you're on here because you're the best. You're on because you're the worst. You know, why he chose me, I don't know, but I am. I will be and I am eternally grateful. You know, every other decision we make is temporal. And we, it's too late when we meet Jesus. When we go to meet him, it's far too late. It's, you can't make a decision. We must. It's like the will, you know, too late to make it when you've gone. It's too late to make a decision for Jesus when you've left. Um, you know something? If you know Jesus tonight, it's because you're chosen. You never chose him. I, I didn't choose. I did when he went after me. You know, he says that no one can come to the Father unless he draws us. And I thank God that he drew me. You know, he took me out of a dark place. You know, when I look back, I shudder to think of the many times that before, I was 29 when I got saved, before I knew him that I could have been gone. Do you know, I, I, I have a brother-in-law there, just saying, the girls, we, first October, we came on well, came out of hospital Thursday night, dead, within 24 hours. You know, up until the last couple of hours, did not know Jesus, didn't want to know him. You know, in total darkness. But no one can take the veil from your eyes except Jesus. So it is him we give the glory to tonight, you know. And I just want to thank God for saving me. And um, my mother got saved before she died about five years later. She had several strokes. And I spent time with her in the hospital. At one point, she didn't want me in the hospital with her. But uh, then she came around because God hears our prayers, you know. Um, someone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. Just, I found this when it was coming out because I heard, I heard a Caldwell Dara say it once out in the car. It was lovely. You know, it talks about, a, you know, there's a payment coming for our sins that I thank God I don't, I, I don't have to pay now because Jesus has paid that for me. And I remember him saying at the time, he says, you know, the wages of sin are undesirable. <laughs> we don't want them. They're unrefusable. You can't reject them. And they're unspendable. Gee, you can't get rid of them. And I thought, thank God and Jesus that I don't have to pay for my sin, that Jesus has paid for it on the cross, and I belong to him. And we're in a difficult times, but you know God is sovereign, and whether we go with COVID or the flu or cancer or dementia or stroke, we'll not go a day before he calls us. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay.